Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we come to you this evening, <clears throat> trusting wholly in you, dependent on your mercy and your grace, which is new every morning. We ask, Father, that you give us grace to understand your word, to be able to apply it to our lives. That we leave here, Father, not just being hearers of the word, but doers of your word. You call us to obedience. You call us to a holy life. You've given us all that you get, all that we need in your son, Jesus Christ. Help us to love you with all our hearts, with all our soul, with all our, our being and our strength. Help me, Lord, to be an instrument, to be used for the glory of your name, Father. You speak tonight, not me. This is your word. These are your people. They're hungry for your word. They're hungry for you. Help me feed them, Father, with your word. Jesus Christ, you died for us. You gave your life as a ransom. And Holy Spirit, you dwell us. You empower us and you illuminate your word that you have written. Help us tonight. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. So the question tonight is, what motivates your Christian life? How do you live an obedient life? What gives you the motivation to live holy and pleasing to God? And what enables you to live for Christ? I believe that Paul gives us the answer in the book of Colossians, in chapter 3, verses 1 through 4. I was debating whether to read the whole text, but for the sake of time, I'm just going to read the first four verses. And if the Spirit leads, we'll go further than that. But for now, let us look at Colossians chapter 3, and we'll read the first four verses, and whatever means you have it, here's God's word. If then you have been raised with Christ... Seek the things that are above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on the things that are above, not on the things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then also you will appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, what's earthly in you. Now, the Apostle Paul is reaching the climax of this book. He spent the first two chapters defending the deity, the eminence, and the beauty of Christ. And now from this point on, in chapter 3, he begins to give imperatives, commands. He says things like, um, put to death things that are earthy in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passions, evil desires, Malice, slander, obscene talk with your mouth. Do not lie to one another, but instead love each other. Well, what motivates that? Well, Paul just explains it in the first two chapters. It is who Christ is and what he did for us on the cross. Christ gave us the ability for us to live in obedient, holy to life. And where does Paul ground this teaching? Well, believe it or not, he grounds it in the resurrection of Christ. Now, when we speak about the resurrection of Christ, we oftentimes focus on what it did for us in the past and what it does for us in the future. But there's benefits for the resurrection of Christ for us today in the now. Yes, we are justified, free from the wrath of God, wholly pleased, 
No longer are we under the condemnation of God. And yes, we await the eternal glory. We await for that day when Christ comes back or we go with him in heaven where he will give us a new body. But the resurrection also has an effect for us here today in the now. Christ didn't just die and said, well, good luck. I'll come back and I'll get you. But in the meantime, live your life and I'll be back with you. But no, he gives us life here today. What does Paul mean then? Well, one of the benefits that the resurrection gave us is that it freed us from the dominion and the power of sin. Sin no longer has dominion over us. The power has been broken. You have been released from his grips. You have been released from his influence. Now, you can begin to live a holy life. And it's what Paul is pointing to. Like I said earlier, he just defended Christ's deity. He said that he is the eminence, the firstborn of creation, meaning the first to die and to rise. And because that is true of him, that is also true of yourself. And, and Paul begins it by saying, if, kind of saying, think about it, maybe, but instead he's saying, consider it. Well, why would Paul say that? Well, what Paul is doing, he's referring to what he said in chapter 2 and 3. I mean, 1 and 3. That consider these things because they're true about you. You have been resurrected. Not only in the future, but now, spiritually. So therefore, walk as though you have been resurrected. Even though our bodies are still waiting for the, for the bodily resurrection, we have been risen through spiritually. And then Paul says, if that is true, they said the things above. Change your thinking. But the question is, how then does resurrection help us? And what does that mean that we're free? And how are we free from the dominion of sin? Well, we're united to Christ. The resurrection united us to Christ. Paul says in Colossians 2.12, saying this, Having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God, who raised from the dead. Because of my union with Christ, I have also died as well. And not only have I died, but I have also risen with him. All that Christ has done, because of my union with him, has been given to me. Ephesians chapter 1 said that you have been given all spiritual blessings. In who? In Christ Jesus. And because Christ died and rose again, and because I am united to him, I have also died and rose again. Well, how is this possible? It's through faith. My faith in Christ has given me the ability to have dead, died and rose again from the dead. And because this is true of us, then Paul says, if that is true, which it is, walk differently, think differently, act differently, talk differently, believe differently. He says, set your heart on the things above. Paul is calling us to a different state of mind. He's telling us not to think about this world 
but was above. When I look at this verse, I think of Psalms 121. Lift up your eyes to the hills, for when does come your help? My help comes from the Lord, who made the heaven and the earth. So the, what Paul saying set, meaning change your desires, change your affections, change your will. Why? Because you can. That's what separates us from other religion. They, t- they teach morality without power. But our morality is powerful because it's with Christ. And the spirit of God indwells us to give us the ability to change our thinking. And to change the way we act, the way we believe. I don't walk the same. No, I don't think the same. And Paul's saying, look up, up above. Well, why? Well, because that's what Christ is seated at, at the right hand of the Father. Now, what does this mean that Christ is seated at the right hand of the Father? He's talking about the exalted Christ. The Christ who has risen. The Christ who has conquered. The Christ who has overcome the world and the devil and the flesh. The one where Paul says in Colossians 2.15, disarmed the rulers and the authorities and put them to open shame by trying over them in him. I believe what Paul is referring to here is Psalms 110. Where David says, the Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool. Sit at the right hand of God has a kingly, priestly aspect to it. Christ is the new and better king. And just like David conquered and defeated the enemies of Israel, Christ has also defeated the enemies of God. And he has placed them under his footstool. So in other words, there's a new sheriff in town. And this king has conquered and overcome the world. And because of union with him, you too have conquered your enemies and have defeated them. You too are free. No longer does the world have influence over you, even though it attracts you, even though it calls to you. Your flesh still rises up in disobedience, but you have overcome it. The devil can only raw, but he cannot bite. Because you have overcome the devil. Not because you did it, but because Christ did it for you on his behalf. Christ is the new and better king. But not only is Christ the king, but he's also a priest. Now what does this mean that he's a priest? It means that he sacrificed for us. He gave his life as a ransom so that you and I, you and I may have access to the Father. He broke the veil that separated us through our sin. And he opened the gateway so that you and I could get to the Father. So now I can scream, Abba, Father, because of Christ's priestly work. And Paul is pointing that to us. They're saying that Christ, who is at the right hand of God, is your high priest. He has made the sacrifice once and for all, as Peter says, dying to sin once and for all. And because of that, he intercedes for us. He prays for us. 
He, as what Romans 8 says, when our, pray, when our spirit prays for us, when we don't have the words and it comes to God and he, and he gets it, Christ represents us to the Father. He goes on our behalf to the Father and represents us. That's why the Apostle John says in 1 John 2 that my little children, when you sin, you have an advocate. And Christ has took on that role of priest, offered himself as a sacrifice, gave his life as a ransom, shed his blood on the cross. And now, only are we forgiven for our sins, but we have access to the Father. And Romans 5 says that access gives us to his grace and to his mercy. That's why I can live the Christian life. Because I have grace and mercy. Because Christ has given that to me by his death and resurrection. So Christ has fulfilled Psalms 110. And Paul is reminding the believers in Colossae that Christ is the Christ King. He is the ruler of the world. He has established a new kingdom. So you have a new king. You have a new ruler. Therefore, set aside what is earthy in you and live for Christ. And he points back to it and again. Verse 2. Set your minds on the things that are above, not on the things on the earth. Paul is telling us to transform our minds. Romans 12, 2 says, transform your, not, transform your mind by the renewing of the word. What did he say before that? Do not be conformed to this world. So Paul is telling us, set your affections, set your passions on away from this earth and up above. Because that's where Christ is seated. And this world is attractive. This world offers a lot. This world offers pleasure, easy believism, comfort, momentary joy. But Paul is telling us to not set your things on those. Because you have a new ruler. Somebody else is dwelling in your heart. And Jesus reminds us, you can only serve one master. Either him or this world. So my question to you tonight is, who is your master? Who governs your affections? Who governs your heart? Where do your passions lie? What do you think about all day long? What do you meditate on? It's so easy to us lose track of that. It's so easy because the world is so influential. We have social media, we have TV shows, we have YouTube, we have all of these things that are constantly bombarding us to appeal to our affections. Worldly wisdom, worldly advice. And they're attractive because it's easy. It's not easy to fight the flesh. It's not easy to battle your mind and you battle your thoughts. But I'm here to tell you that you're not alone. Christ is with you. And Christ is for you. And Paul is telling the, the uh, people in Colossae to set your emotions and your affections because that's where your heart lies. 
And where the heart is, the heart goes. Proverbs 4.23 says, guard your heart. From it flows the fountain of life. Where you put your thoughts in is where you're actually going to go. So Paul is saying, because you're resurrected, because you're united to Christ, walk as though you are that. Live as though you are that. Think as though you are that. Because you are that. I have conquered the world and have given you access to me. So Paul is reminding the church of Colossae that they should change their affections. And then he points it down even further. Look at verse 3. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Paul is reminding us that the reason why you should change your thinking is because you're dead to it. This verse, or this chapter, mirrors a lot Romans 6, where the Apostle Paul talks about that Christ, just like Christ died to sin, because united to him, you have died to sin. Put to death those affections. Put to death those evil thoughts. Put to death those affections that so easily entangle you, as, as Hebrews chapter 12 says, because you're dead to those things. Those things no longer have power over you. They no longer have dominion over you. You're dead to sin. But you're alive in Christ. What that means is that our life belongs to Christ. The Apostle Paul says in Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but a Christ who lives in me. In the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by, the, by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. That's what he's saying while our life is hidden in Christ. One of my favorite rappers said, Christian rappers said, I will talk about myself, but I'm dead. God killed me and gave me his son life instead. It means that your life no longer belongs to you. Your life now belongs to Christ. And the life that Christ lived... He lived for us. And now because my life is hidden in him, even though I don't walk righteously, I am declared righteous. Even though I'm not fully sanctified, I have already been sanctified. Christ's obedience on earth was the life that I was called to live. But unfortunately, I was unable to because of my flesh. But Christ lived that life so that you and I could live that life as well. So Christ died and gave his life for us, and now our life is hidden with him. That means that I identify with Christ. I have a new identity. It's no longer Chris who lives. It's Christ who lives through Chris. But how? How does a believer live with Christ? Well, we live it by faith. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 7 says this, We walk by faith and not by sight. I believe and I walk, though I don't always reflect the character of Christ. Though I always emulate his life. I live 
but by faith, although as I have already done it. Because our goal is not to complete every single law of God. We're not able to fulfill every law of God. But by faith, we walk as though we did fulfill the law of God. Because Christ has done it for us. And my faith in him has given me the access to live by faith. And to walk by faith. And to walk in obedience to Christ. Even though at times I don't reflect it. Even though at times my mind doesn't want to. Even though my affection doesn't always emulate what I am in Christ. So the life that we live, we live by faith. Longing and waiting for Christ to redeem us and to save us. Therefore the believer should live by faith. With the assurance that the life is secure in Christ. Christ has accomplished what we were not able to accomplish. This is what Paul means in verse 4. That Christ is our life. Christ has given us his life. For us. And now my life reflects his life. This morning our brother talked about that we share in the suffering of Christ. But we also share in the life of Christ. We share his motives. We share his desires. We share his will. So when God sees me, he sees Christ in me. And this is what Paul is trying to get at. He's saying, because this is true, you can set aside those such desires. You can't put to death those earthly um, flesh. We have received all spiritual blessing in Christ Jesus. And we will see him face to face. But until that time, we live by faith. And Paul says here in verse 4, when Christ, who is, who is our life, appears, then you shall appear with him in glory. That's our expectation. That's our hope. That although we don't live perfectly here on this life, we long and wait for that day. Where no longer the flesh will be in opposition to us. No longer will our flesh tease us and confuse us. No longer will our world tice us and entice us. And no longer will the devil will no longer provoke us and tempt us. So we wait for that day when we will see him face to face. And the Apostle John says when we do that, we will be like him. Because we will see him face to face. And Paul is telling us here that because that is true, put to death. Peter says... What do you do when you're waiting for that for, for, the, for Christ's coming? You purify yourself. You, hold, you walk in holiness. Because you wait for that coming. Like a, like a person who's waiting for a wedding. They prepare themselves. They buy the dress. They get all the things ready. So the apostle Paul is telling us, get yourself ready. Because you can. Because you have been freed. And set free from the dominion of sin. And you have died to the death of, of the flesh. So therefore set your minds on the things of, the, of, of, of above. John Owen says, I always love this quote. Be killing sin or sin will be killing you. Do not entertain sin. 
Do not let it rain in your heart. Do not let your mind rest on that. Romans chapter 6 verse 12 to 14 says this. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passion. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourself to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. For sin will no longer have dominion over you since you are not under the law, but under grace. This is true of you, believers. You're not under law anymore. You're under grace. Because Christ has set you free. And as I close, set your things on things above. Because you can. The reason why we can obey Christ is because Christ has done it for us. And he has freed us from the power and dominion of sin. Through our union with Christ, we have the power to say no to sin and to live for God. Christ has empowered us through his grace by the Holy Spirit to live a life holy and pleasing to him. So I encourage you tonight to put to death the flesh because of of your union with Christ and live by faith with the hope that one day we will be like him because he will transform us and we will see him face to face. Let us pray. Father God, thank you for your word. Thank you for your spirit. Thank you that Christ has given us all things pertaining to life. And help us, Lord, that we can serve you and love you with all our hearts, with all our minds, and with all our soul. And this is the precious name of Christ that we pray. Amen.